Can't Wait for Christmas is a proud member of the Christmas Podcast Network. Check out all the shows on the network at christmaspodcastnetwork.com. Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. It's June 25th, 2021, and that means there's just six months left until Christmas. Today on the show, we're going to do something a little different and tell you the true story of the playing cards that saved Christmas. We'll also learn how to make marshmallow popcorn balls, count down the top five Christmas-related things to look for when buying a house, and we've got lots of your interesting Christmas trivia in another round of Seasons Musings. Okay, let's start the show! Greetings, you believers! It's Leon Day! The kickoff for Christmas in July and the official halfway point to Christmas. Time to play the official Can't Wait for Christmas Leon Day Carol! From here on in, we have less days between us and next Christmas than between us and last Christmas. But half a year is still too long a wait for me. I think I need a little Christmas now. We need a little Christmas now. I have declared 2021 to be 2020 yum. So on every episode this year, I'm giving you a recipe for some Christmassy goodness for your tummy tum tum. Today, I found a recipe in a recipe book from Nabisco that's so old. How old is it? Thank you, imaginary listener. That sounds kind of like Kermit the Frog. It's so old that the book says that you can find these recipes online at NabiscoRecipes.com. But that site doesn't even exist anymore. But fortunately, you don't have to renew your hosting fees for a physical book. So this recipe for mallow popcorn balls is not lost to the fickle finger of the internet. For this one, you need very few ingredients, just a half a cup of butter or margarine, four cups of miniature marshmallows, or 40 of the full-size ones, a half a teaspoon of vanilla extract, and 12 cups of popped popcorn. That's it! You're good to go! Then you just melt the butter in a saucepan over low heat. Then add the marshmallows and the vanilla and the salt and stir until the marshmallows melt. Then you pour the melted mixture over a bowl of popcorn and mix it up to make sure it's as evenly coated as you can get it. Then grease up your hands a bit and roll the coated popcorn into nine three-inch balls. Let them sit on some wax paper until they are firm and voila, you got yourself a tasty snack. Pro tip, be as careful as you can to make sure there's no unpopped kernels in any of those balls. As someone who has had his fair share of dental mishaps lately, I can tell you your teeth versus an unpopped popcorn kernel is not a fight you want to pick. Another tip, if you add some red or green food coloring to the marshmallow mixture before you pour it on the popcorn, it'll make this snack even more Christmassy. If you didn't jot down the recipe as I was reading it, fret not. I was able to find it online at the Kraft Heinz website. I guess they bought Nabisco at some point? I'll put a link to the recipe in the show notes at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. And now it's time for our countdown feature, Five Golden Things. Five Golden Things. 
I don't know if I sound any different this episode, but this is the first episode I'm recording in our new home in the heart of Silicon Valley, San Jose, California. Like I mentioned last time, we bought a house, which is very exciting and a little scary, but my wife was really the driving force behind us getting into this house. She was busy considering things like square footage, proximity to good schools, renovated kitchen, all important things. But when I was looking at houses, one of my first thoughts was always... Can I see myself celebrating Christmas in this house? So, for any of you current or future house hunters, I'd like to present my top five Christmas-related things to look for when buying a house. Side note, to some degree, these apply when looking for a new place to rent as well. Okay, let's get it started with... Number five. Outlets. This is so vital, not even for Christmas, but for every day. We have so many gadgets that need to be charged nowadays that when you pick a place, you got to make sure there's enough places to plug them all in. But for me, it's the front yard. I got to have enough places to plug in my lights, my inflatables, my projectors, all of it. And if you don't want to pull a Clark Griswold, you might want to make sure your wiring can handle all your Christmas jolliness. At the place we were renting before this, we blew the fuse a number of times. Number four. Not the same freeway exit as the mall. People keep telling me that malls are dying, but that's definitely not true around Christmas. People still flock to shopping malls to buy gifts, and I've personally seen how that translates to a clogged-up freeway on the off-ramp closest to the mall. I've often driven by that traffic jam and thought, man, how much would it stink to be in that just trying to get home? So even though being close to a mall might sound like it'd be convenient, make sure you're not too close so you don't get caught in that mall traffic. Number three. Christmas decoration storage. I have acquired a good amount of Christmas decorations over the years. In fact, I mentioned last time that I filled my entire minivan with Christmas decorations when we were moving to this new place. So when we were looking for places, I wanted to make sure we had some place to store that minivan worth of merriment. So a garage, an attic, a basement, a really large closet, you gotta make sure you have some space for the decorations to hibernate in the boring non-Christmas months. Number two. Place for the tree. Whenever I picture a Christmas tree, it's always sitting in front of a huge front window of a house and visible from the street as people pass by. Sadly, I have only had that experience once since moving out of my dad's house when I was 18. Sadder still, the year we actually had a place where we could put the Christmas tree in the front window was the Christmas that I was working three jobs plus doing stand-up comedy, and I wasn't really home to enjoy the holiday much. But even though our new house doesn't have one of those big street-facing living room windows, it does have two front-facing corner windows in my office, where I have been given permission to place a Christmas tree all year round! (laughs) But wherever you like to put your tree, just make sure you get a place with enough room to put it in a good spot. And as a corollary to the spot for the Christmas tree, you also need... Honorable mentions! A place for stockings! Now, if you're getting a place with a fireplace, this seems easy, but some fireplace setups are not conducive to hanging stockings. If that's the case, or if there's no fireplace at all, you gotta make sure there's a good spot somewhere to hang those stockings. And now let's go to... Number one! A yard that's good to decorate. This is the biggie for me. Ever since that Christmas where I put up the lights a day or two before Christmas, and then we left the day after Christmas to visit friends on the East Coast, I've made it my mission to decorate earlier and more elaborate every year. So each house my wife showed me, I immediately pictured what it would look like decorated for Christmas. Where's the giant inflatable Darth Vader gonna go? Where will I project the animated snow? These are all questions I needed to have answered before signing any paperwork. So that's my list. What Christmas-related things do you look for in a home? Let us know with a comment at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. And now a word from one of the other podcasts in the Christmas Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered why we sing and eat figgy pudding during the holidays? 
How does the butter letter from 11th century Rome create the perfect holiday dessert? Join me, Glenn Warren, on Seasons Eatings as we explore the history and origins of your favorite Christmas foods. So head on over to SeasonsEatingsPodcast.com to subscribe on your podcast app of choice. Welcome back. Today I'd like to tell you a story about Christmas cards. You already told the story about Christmas cards. Wait, what? Yeah, back in 2017, episode 28, you told the story of how the modern Christmas card came to be. Yeah, but... Really, I, I think it was just an excuse for you to plug the Christmas card designs in your merch store. No, no it wasn't. Uh, but we do have some cool new designs every year. See what I'm saying? Well, don't worry, Mr. Cynical. This is about a completely different kind of Christmas cards. We're talking about playing cards. A specific type of playing cards that were given as Christmas gifts in 1944. So sit back and let me tell you the tale of the cards that saved Christmas. <laughs> Our story begins in Castle Kolditz, a Renaissance castle located between the towns of Hartha and Grima in Germany. Unfortunately, this isn't a happy castle story, because it takes place during World War II. This wasn't some tourist attraction. It had been converted by the Nazis into a prisoner of war camp, Offlog 4C. It was chosen because the castle had walls that were six feet thick. Some of the walls were 30 feet high, and it was surrounded by 250-foot cliffs on three sides. Definitely doesn't seem like an easy place to escape, which was the idea, because the people who were put in here were prisoners who had escaped from other POW camps. So they beefed up security at this prison. Barbed wire, constant searchlights, machine gun nests, and one guard for every prisoner. So you would think that would stifle escape attempts, right? Well, you'd be wrong. There were several flaws with this setup. Typically, a castle is designed for keeping people out, not keeping people in. Also, when you put a bunch of people who are good at escaping prisons in the same prison, you've basically just made an escapee supergroup. It's like the assembly of the talent they got for Do They Know It's Christmas, but instead of being good at singing, they're good at busting out of the joint. So, just as you would expect, hundreds of escape attempts were made. Prisoners disguised themselves as German guards, as high-society women. One even disguised himself as the prison electrician to try and escape. They even figured out a system called ghosting. You see, those walls that are six feet thick, they weren't all solid. There were little nooks and crannies to hide in, and that's just what some prisoners would do. Hide in the walls, for days or weeks on end. The guards would think they'd escaped. They'd search the surrounding area for days before finally giving up. That's when another prisoner would really escape. But when he did, the ghost would pop back out and take the escapee's place. So the guards wouldn't think anyone was missing when they did a count. That way, the prisoner that really escaped could get a bit of a head start before anyone came looking for them. Now, all these escape attempts are very impressive, but you must remember, even if they made it out of the castle, the prisoners were still inside Germany and deep in enemy territory. Wait a second. Isn't this story supposed to be about playing cards and Christmas? You're right. Let's pause this story here so we can talk about playing cards and war. You see, the horrors of combat get talked about a lot when discussing our fighting forces at wartime, and with good reason. But an often neglected topic of discussion of war is boredom. You see, there's a lot of waiting around for something to happen. It's not all firefights 24-7. So one thing soldiers did a lot of was playing cards. In fact, in World War I, the United States Playing Card Company made special, cheap decks of cards so soldiers could afford to buy a deck before shipping out. Prisoners of war were also typically allowed to have playing cards to pass the time. And that's where the British and American intelligence agencies had an idea. 
a wonderful, awful idea. They would hide maps in decks of playing cards. They collaborated with the United States Playing Card Company's brand Bicycle to create special decks with maps hidden inside. You see, playing cards are made by initially gluing two sheets of cardstock together. That's how almost all cards are made. They're two separate pieces of paper glued together. And it's done this way to prevent you from being able to see through the card so that you can't see what the card is from the back of the card. Well, the intelligence agencies figured between the two pieces of paper was a good place to hide a map for escaping prisoners to use. If you got the deck wet, the glue would separate and reveal the map inside. Then you just assembled the map pieces in the right order, and once they escaped the castle, the prisoners would have a map of where to go. The maps also had directions and valuable tips and information to help an escapee reach a friendly or neutral country. But how to get these special decks into the prisoners' hands? Well, they gave them to the Red Cross, who included them with their parcels that they delivered. These parcels usually contained playing cards, so these special decks went unnoticed by the guards. And when were these parcels delivered? Just in time for Christmas 1944. These cards probably literally saved Christmas for the 32 people who successfully escaped from Castle Colditz. And they certainly raised Christmas spirits as there were more than 300 escape attempts made. But this was all kept a secret for a very long time. In fact, very little is known about this project to this day, because it turns out sending supplies to escape a POW camp in a relief care package is a violation of the Geneva Convention. Yes, you're not supposed to do it, even to allow people to escape literal Nazis. Also, it's not known how many of these decks are still around. They believe there's one intact in a private collection, and there are two on display at the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., So once word finally got out, Bicycle made a commemorative deck available, with the map printed on the back, so you don't have to get it wet and tear it apart. So there you have it, a story about a castle, some cards, and Christmas. And now you have an interesting bit of Christmas trivia to drop on your friends at your next poker game. Speaking of Christmas trivia, let's move on to our final segment today, Seasons Musings. Seasons Musings coming through, can't wait to hear the thoughts sent in by you. All year I'm asking you questions from this card game my mom gave me for Christmas last year and asking you to record your answers and send them in for us all to enjoy. And before I continue, can I say how much I'm enjoying this? It's easy for me to get up here and flap my lips every month about Christmas, but it's been a real joy getting to hear your voices talk Christmas. So many, many thanks to everyone who's participated in Seasons Musings, not only this month, but all year. Okay, let's hear some trivia. We'll start with Monica. Hello, Tim and fellow waiters. It was so hard for me to pick my most interesting trivia about Christmas, mostly because I listened to this podcast. But um, the one that I picked is one that I first learned of when I was in grade nine, um, French class of all places. And it was that the Santa Claus that we know today, you know, with the red suit and the rosy cheeks, was first or rather was heavily promoted by Coca-Cola, who whose artist drew um, inspiration from the poem by Clement Clark, Twas the Night Before Christmas. Thank you, Monica. For a second there, I thought you were going to fall into the trap of that urban legend that Coca-Cola created Santa's look, which is not true. But they certainly did popularize it through their ad campaign. I should have guessed you would get the correct information from French class. Why do you insist on doing awful voices? I feel like you're not the optimal person to ask me that question. What? Forget it. Let's hear from the host of the Advent Calendar podcast and voice of Captain Willis in our made-for-podcast Christmas movie, A Bomb for Christmas, Mike Westfall. Hey, Tim, it's Mike Westfall. I know an interesting piece of Christmas trivia that I just learned last year. It might be well known. I don't know. But I happen to think about it today after listening to your bonus episode. So here we go. So Charles Dickens had apparently once suggested, if not outright confirmed, 
that one of the inspirations for the character of Ebenezer Scrooge was a man named John Elwes, a member of Parliament and a noted eccentric and miser. So John Elwes is a not-too-distant ancestor of actor Carrie Elwes from The Princess Bride. And he confirmed that in a promotional interview for Disney's A Christmas Carol. Remember, he was in that as one of the solicitors. So now, all I want in this life is for Carrie Elwes to play Scrooge. I need that to happen. And that's my interesting Christmas fact. Thanks, Mike. Maybe I'm just out of the loop, but that was not at all common knowledge to me. That's pretty darn cool. Side note, I was listening to some of these merry musings while my wife was in the room, and she was half listening while she was doing something else, and she thought you wanted me to make Carrie Elway's playing Scrooge happen. And I'm pretty sure I don't have any sort of power to make this happen, but on the off chance Hollywood is waiting for my seal of approval to cast Carrie Elway's as Scrooge, you officially have my blessing to proceed. Next up, another Christmas podcast host, Glenn Warren of Seasons Eatings. Hey Tim, this is Glenn Warren from the Seasons Eatings podcast. One of my favorite Christmas trivias is that we all know about the eight tiny reindeer that Santa has pulling his sleigh, and of course we know that red-nosed guy Rudolph, but did you know there are more reindeer in Santa's stables? Author L. Frank Baum of The Wizard of Oz named ten reindeer of his own in his 1902 children's book, The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus. Their names are Flossie and Glossy, Racer and Pacer, Fearless and Peerless, Ready and Steady, and Feckless and Speckless. Well, to me, they almost sound more like elf names, but I'm sure they'll work well for reindeer names as well. Thanks for doing everything you do, and have a Merry Christmas. Thanks, Glenn. Leave it to a podcaster to put his own music bed under his audio. But I think we need a special to find out what happened to these other reindeer. Maybe every year at Christmas they get sent on a whole separate top-secret Christmas mission? Come on, Pixar. You have yet to make a pure Christmas movie. This is your ticket. Get on it. Now let's hear from Justin. Hey, Tim. This is Justin checking in again from Nashville. And I have an interesting piece of trivia for you. I remember you saying in the first episode about a Charlie Brown Christmas that Christmas time is here only took about 15 minutes to write. Well, it turns out that there's another legendary Christmas hit that only took about 15 minutes to write and compose, and it is Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Thank you for all you do for us. Can't wait for the next episode, and as always, can't wait for Christmas. That's crazy that All I Want for Christmas You came together so quickly. It's pretty cool what talented musicians can do under pressure. And now, we have another star of A Bomb for Christmas, Jeffrey. Hey, Tim. Just wanted to answer that question about our favorite piece of Christmas trivia. And since I figure most of your listeners know a lot about Christmas, I would go with what I feel to be my most esoteric piece of Christmas trivia. So long before Santa Claus, long before Father Christmas... I found that the first recorded instance as Christmas as a person was in a carol from the 1400s, where he is referred to as Sir Christmas. And this is not your father Santa Claus. In Latin, he's telling you to drink up with your buddies if you're going to celebrate the birth of that baby, or words to that effect. And then in English, he says, make good cheer and be right merry. So, less Santa Claus, more Mardi Gras King. One last little tidbit. That line, make good cheer and be right merry, if you translate it into the Russian, it comes out, 
keep laughing all the way. <laughs> He's still got it. But Sir Christmas is another special waiting to happen. Or maybe some kind of screwball comedy? I can't believe Sir Christmas has just been sitting there all this time. You're leaving money on the table, Hollywood! And now it's time for a Christmas podcaster hat trick with Chris from Kringle Talks Football. Hey Tim, Chris Kringle here once again from Kringle Talks Football. My weird trivia that I know, and I'm pretty sure you've spoken about in the past episode, but it's, it's not the most exciting trivia, I must be honest. But over in the UK, we, we don't really have much trivial stuff in terms of Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. But I do know that in a lot of other European countries, specifically in the Scandinavian countries, they celebrate really like opening of the gifts presents-wise uh, the day when sort of Santa comes around and delivers presents to the kids on Christmas Eve. So they'll have that. And I know in some countries, and maybe some of your listeners might correct me, but on Christmas Eve, they have salmon with, as their dinner. So they'll open their Christmas presents on Christmas Eve after Santa's come and deliver the presents, and then they'll have salmon as their Christmas dinner. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of the one I have. I don't know how trivial it is, if I'm honest, but yeah, hopefully some other people will have some better ones than I did. Thank you very much, and keep laughing all the way as usual. Take care. Oh, Chris, your trivia was just fine. In fact, it kind of makes me want some salmon. Okay, we have time for a couple more. Let's go to Aaron. Hi, fellow Christmas nerds. I hope that I'm not too late on this, but I guess if I am, you're not hearing it. So, my favorite piece of Christmas trivia is that celebrating Christmas used to be illegal in America and some other places because it was considered too much fun. It uh, had a lot of merriment and not as much of the family stuff, and the Puritans hated fun, and it was literally not even legal to celebrate it. Nobody ever believes that, but it's completely true. Um, yeah, pretty neat, huh? Uh, okay, Merry Half Christmas. Bye. Well, don't worry, Aaron. You weren't late. And at some point in the future, I plan to take a deep dive into when Christmas was illegal. Sounds like there should be some fascinating stories that took place during that time. All right, last but not least, it's Mark. Hey there, Tim. Mark here from Vista, California. Here's the most interesting piece of Christmas trivia that I know. Did you know that the song Sleigh Ride, while admittedly one of those Christmas songs that's not really a Christmas song because it never even mentions Christmas. Just hear those sleigh bells jingling, ring, ting, tingling, too. Sleigh Ride was initially written as an instrumental song only, and... The words weren't written until two years after it came out, which is extraordinary if you think about it, because Sleigh Ride is not a simple song. I mean, any of us could write words to the tune of Jingle Bells or Deck the Halls, but Sleigh Ride? That's a complicated song with a lot of different movements to it. Sleigh Ride was written in 1948 by Leroy Anderson, who composed for the Boston Pops Orchestra, and it immediately became popular, so his friend Mitchell Parrish was brought in to write lyrics, which he finished in 1950. And Mitchell Parrish was such a brilliant lyric writer that he refused to use rhymes that had been used by other songwriters in other songs. I even read that Mitchell Parrish didn't own a rhyming dictionary, didn't need one. Now, of course, none of us own a rhyming dictionary either, but in the 1940s, Mitchell Parrish didn't have what we all have, the Google, which makes the song Sleigh Ride even more special. I mean, what other song could employ a line like, 
It will nearly be like a picture print by Courier and Ives. It'll nearly be like a picture print by Courier and Ives. These wonderful things are the things we remember all through our lives. Tim, keep up the great work. Wow, Mark, you produced a full mini segment there. You had a music bed, sound clips. You're clearly ready for the big time. Guys, I think Mark is after my job. Well, as long as I've still got it for now, I want to say thank you to every one of you who sent an audio for this. It's amazing that of everybody who sent in Christmas trivia, nobody sent the same Christmas trivia. That's how much trivia there is out there. And if you want to get on in the next round, you're in luck, because the next Christmas question is coming right up now. <laughs> so here's what I'd like to know. What's your favorite Christmas decoration in your home? This will be a tough pick for me, mostly because both my wonderful sons have made Christmas ornaments that we use every year. I could cheat and say both of those, which I do love, mostly because my boys made them. But if I'm being totally truthful, my rotating Christmas tree is probably the coolest decoration we have. Okay, now it's your turn. Record yourself talking about your favorite Christmas decoration. You don't have to feel obligated to add all the bells and whistles like music beds and sound clips. Just your voice is enough to bring us the Christmas spirit. Send those on over to us at christmas at tancast.com. As always, if you'd like to get this deck I'm using to get the topics for this segment, there's a link in the show notes so you can grab your own Christmas chat pack. And the jingle for this segment featured Deck the Halls by Kevin McLeod, which was used under Creative Commons 3.0 Attribution License. And that brings this episode to a close. But don't worry, if you're looking for more Tim Babb in the Christmas potosphere, there's been quite a bit of it spread around the last few weeks. So I was recently on the Merry Melee Championship for the Christmas Clatter podcast, and then I was actually on as a just a regular old guest on the Christmas Clatter podcast. Uh, both those links will be in the show notes. Also, if you flip over to the Tis the Podcast feed, I was lucky enough to be able to read a chapter of Anthony's story, Another Christmas Story. It's an original Christmas story that he wrote, and he's having various people perform, and I got to perform a whole chapter of it. It was a lot of fun. I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes of this episode as well. Other than that, happy Leon Day to you and yours. Remember to check the show notes for that Mallow popcorn ball recipe, and don't forget to tell us about your favorite Christmas decorations. Enjoy yourself some Christmas in July. I know I will. We'll see you again july 25th but in the meantime you believers keep laughing all the way and that was christmas 1983 actually dad it's 2021 oh thank you for listening to another episode of the can't wait for christmas podcast if you like what you hear please subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, and email us about it at christmas at tancast.com, we'll send you a free Can't Wait for Christmas sticker. If you'd like to see the show notes or leave a comment on this or any other episodes, you can go to our official website, can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. While you're there, you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store where you can grab customizable t-shirts, ornaments, stickers, and all sorts of other Christmas-themed items all year long. We'd love to connect with you on social media. On Facebook and Instagram, we are Can't Wait for Christmas Pod. And on Twitter, we are at Christmas Pod. 
We Wish You a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band, and this amazing version of Jingle Bells on the accordion was performed by the wonderful and talented Christian Nowicki. All other music and sounds used in this episode are the properties of their individual copyright holders, and they are used for purposes of commentary and review. No infringement is intended. Okay, boys, did I forget anything? God bless us, everyone. Merry Christmas! Our story begins in Castle Kolditz, a Renaissance castle located between the towns of Hartha and Jamia in Germany. Grimia. Nope, try that again. Got all confident, like, oh, I'm going to know how to pronounce this. I just remember reading, you know, listening to it last night, so I knew how to pronounce it. And then tripped about, tripped right away. Our story begins in Castle Kolditz, a Renaissance castle located, located. That's the one that tripped me up that time. Our story begins in Castle Kolditz, a Renaissance castle located between the towns of Hartha and Grimia in Germany. Grimma, 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 I'm gonna say Grimma. Might not be right, but that's what I'm gonna say. Once word finally got out, Bicycle made a commemorative deck available with the map printed on the back, so you don't have to get it wet and tear it apart. Right, drag racing, drag racing motorcycle going by. Let's try that again. So many, many thanks to everyone who is a part, who is a participated in the season's music. I thank you so much. It's me, Mario. Woo-hoo-hoo.